Okay, we are continuing on the chronological life of Jesus, and we are in John chapter uh, 4, John chapter 4, reading from verse 46, John 4, 46. Therefore he came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made water wine. And there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and to heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. And the royal official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. And he was now going down, and as he was now going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew it was at that hour in which Jesus had said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed in his whole household. This is again a second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. So we had read last time how Jesus left uh, Judea. John the Baptist had been taken uh, and thrown into prison. And Jesus left. uh, uh, And and there were several reasons for Jesus leaving that we had already covered. And when he he comes into Cana of Galilee, and Cana was the place where he was at, at the wedding feast, his first miracle where he turned the water into wine. And... And, and again, here he, he only has a, a subset of his disciples, four or five of his disciples at this point. He hasn't taken the others. We haven't yet reached that point in the chronology. And it says that there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and to heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus came out of Judea, and now he's in Galilee. So this is about, uh, I don't know, three days' journey, something like 35, 40 miles north of Jerusalem is the Galilee. And Jesus is there in Cana. And then it says there is a royal official. That means that this man is working for King Antipas, who is the king over Galilee. He is one of the sons of King Herod, who was having the temple built. Uh, one of that, that's the same King Herod who had tried to have uh, Jesus killed when he was uh, just a child, two or under, uh, when he found out that the Messiah had been born that was a king and he had sent to have, have all the children, all the male children, two years old and younger, killed. You know the Christmas story? That was King Antipas' father, King Herod. King Antipas, so this man was working, he was a Jew, working in the... Uh, the, the, the court of King Antipas. And it says his son was, was sick at Capernaum. So now the distance between Capernaum and, and, and Cana was about 20 miles. So this man had traveled 20 miles from Capernaum. Capernaum is just by the base of the Sea of Galilee on the north side. And if you look at the Sea of Galilee, there are these rising mountains on all sides of it. And the mountains take, up, take off very quickly. And so Cana is actually, though it's 20 miles away, it's 2,100 feet above, uh, 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 above Capernaum. So this man had walked 
2,100 feet. And it's because Capernaum is about five or 600 feet below sea level, and Cana is about 1,500 feet above sea level. So it was quite a walk, 20 miles uphill to get to where Jesus was. And it says that he came there because he had heard that Jesus had come out of Judea and gone into the Galilee. And, and, uh, and it, we read up in verse 45 in that same portion. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they themselves also went to the feast. So word about him was spreading that he could heal many. And so we had read some, some previous portions where many had been healed by him. And uh, uh, so he gets word and it says his son wasn't just, you know, sniffles. It says that this official son was at the point of death. So you have to think about where this official's mindset is. If, if you have a child and that child is at the point of death, you're beside yourself. I mean, you will do anything you can. You're going to get that child to the best medical attention you can. This man's child is at the point of death, so he's really desperate. Yes, he works in the palace, but he is going to walk 20 miles uphill to get this man to come to his home to heal his son because he has heard that there is a man there that can heal him. He had heard the rumors about Jesus had, had been spreading. So put yourself in this place. You guys have a son, right? If your son were at the point of death, wouldn't you do whatever you could possibly do? Anything, right? You know, you'd travel back to Mexico, wouldn't you, if you had to? Anything, anything for this child. This is what you do. So you have to put yourself in that position. This wasn't, you know, just uh, happening to, to go there. So this guy is besides himself. And he gets to Jesus. Now, at this point in his ministry you see that there is no obligation to have faith to be healed. There is an obligation later in Jesus' ministry, and we will come to that turning point. But at this point, we will see lots of healings of Jesus where there's no obligation to have faith to be healed. And he will walk up to people and heal them. There's, there's no obligation for faith. The faith comes later. And then faith later becomes an obligation for Jesus to do a, a work. But that comes at a, at a major transition. And at this point, in all of Jesus' teachings, he doesn't speak in any parables. Everything is direct and clear. There comes a point that there's going to be a change, and Jesus only instructs in parables. That transition occurs exactly at the same time as the transition from not having to have faith to having faith in a healing. That transition occurs at a very decisive point, and, and we, we will go through that in great detail. But at this point, he wasn't speaking in parables. At this point, he was doing lots of healings, regardless of whether there was faith or not. He is going to ask this man a question about faith, but the faith related to this, not just this man, but this community is, do you have to see a sign here to believe that I can go and heal that person, or do you believe that I can just heal that person long distance. Just speak the word and having, having that, that, that child be healed. So you see in verse 48, it says, um, So Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. And the royal official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. So again, he's saying to him, come down. Now, even though, even though uh, uh, Cana is south, Cana is, is, is 
southwest of, of Capernaum. He says, come down, because now they're up on a mountain. So it's southwest as the crow flies, but it's, it's 2,100 feet high. So he's saying, come down, which makes sense for, with the geography. And he says, come down for my son. He, he, he says, if you don't come down, if you don't come down, my child is going to die. Now Jesus turns to him in verse 50 and says, go, your son lives. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. So you see, the man needed no sign in order to believe that Jesus could heal his son long distance. He required no sign. He didn't say, oh, well, I'm not sure if you're really going to heal him. Show me a sign so that I know you're going to do it. No, he just spoke the word. He said, <clears throat> he said to him, go, your son lives. So there must have been something in this man to have trekked 20 miles to get there. And Jesus says, go. Your son lives. These words are so profound, which we'll get back to in a moment. But So the man starts off, and as he's going, it says that, that now he was going, and his slaves met him saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. They said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So, when they say yesterday, it means that that man started off. Jesus said, go, your son lives. So the guy started going. But this is 20 miles. So he couldn't get home in time. So he, you know, either he was walking all night or he had spent the night. Because the next day, it says they met him. And they said, yesterday, at such and such an hour, he started getting better. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Was this a lack of faith in Jesus to say, uh, and what hour did he get better? Or would full faith have just said, well, I don't even have to ask what hour he got better. He just got better. That's all I know. No, he, he was like us. He, we want to check this thing out. He wanted to check out, did, did my son get better at that hour that Jesus had said, go, your son lives. And his slave said, yes, it was at such and such an hour. And then it says that, that when they said this, in verse 53, so the Father knew it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. So in other words, this man got back to his house, shared this story that Jesus said this at this hour, that's the hour my son got better, and the whole household believed in Jesus. The whole household. And this man was a royal official. He had slaves. Now, is that slavery good? You know, why didn't Jesus speak against this? Slavery was part of the society. There's many things that we do that are in 100 years or 200 years or 300 years, people are going to, could cast judgment upon us. If you think that, oh no, what everything that you do is perfect and right and there's nothing wrong. Let me give you an example. How many of you here did not, how many of you here walked to church today? How many of you rode a bicycle to church today? Okay. Charles walked to church. Anyone else? All right. So you drove in a car. Did you know that that car was blowing out CO2? And you were burning our natural resources. You were burning uh, uh, hydrocarbons, fossil fuels. In 300 years, they're going to judge you. How could you have done that? How could you have done that? Didn't you know that that was so hard on the environment and greenhouse effect and, and, and all that? And, well, you know, this just... Sort of the culture. This is how we get around these days. 
But you knew it. You knew it to be bad, and yet you did it. To church. You think God really received you going to church after you did that, knowing what, what you did? And you're like, I didn't mean anything by it. This is just how people get around. It was a bus, so it was mass transportation. No, but you, you could have walked. I mean, you were just lazy. Had you gotten up a little bit earlier, you could have walked. You, you see what I mean? I mean, Jesus didn't deal with this issue of slavery. This was the culture at the time. The man had slaves. Jesus himself didn't have any slaves. Jesus was walking everywhere he went. He was. He didn't abuse the, the environment. Jesus didn't do what you do. What I want to get at is, is this man says to him, go your son lives. This word, this word was enough. Something that he could bank on. Something that he could take hold of. Go, your son lives. And the man started off toward home. Go, your son lives. When you are in a time of desperation, you remember that the Lord can speak a word that can give you sustenance and strength for the situation. God does this. God speaks a word. God said to Gideon in in Judges chapter 6, verse 14, He said, Gideon said, how am I going to be able to ever, ever overcome in this? And it says, the angel of the Lord looked at Gideon and said, go in this your strength. You know, you think he'd give him a, a, you know, a shining sword. Go in this your strength. And conquer the Midian. No. He just looked at him and said, Go in this your strength. Just the word in Judges 6.14. Just the word he spoke. Go in this your strength and you will be sustained. Go in this your strength. His word speaks to our hearts. Now Gideon then said, Show me a sign. And God was faithful in showing him not one, but two signs. But the angel of the Lord had said to him, Go in this your strength. You know, there's an interesting portion in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 23, where Paul had just solemnly testified in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 23. You know, if you really look at it, uh, Paul had given about one paragraph of testimony in Jerusalem. Paul had just shown up in Jerusalem. He was just offering up some offerings in Jerusalem. And he got picked up. And he stood, he was, he, he stood on these steps in chains. And he gave a testimony. It's one paragraph testimony. And the people became livid. And they started throwing their cloaks and throwing dust in the air and wanted to kill him. He spoke one paragraph. Actually, he spoke in, in, in Acts chapter 22. Uh, in, in Acts chapter 22, he spoke, and then when he hit in verse 21 of Acts chapter 22, and he said to them, and he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. They listened to him up to this statement, and then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. So, um, Paul started speaking actually in, in, uh, 
in chapter 22, verse 1. He ended speaking in chapter 22, verse 21. 21 verses was his only testimony in Jerusalem. That's it. This is a couple of paragraphs. That's all he got to testify. But that was enough. Jesus appears to him, now in Acts chapter 23, Jesus appears to him in verse 11 and says, Take courage, Acts chapter 23, verse 11, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. That's it. Jesus appears at his side and speaks one sentence to him and says, you did a great job in Jerusalem. Paul's like, I, I only got to say 21 verses. <laughs> you know, that's it. You know, that's all I got to say. What are you talking about? Great job. And in fact, at the end of my testimony, nobody received the Lord. They just started throwing stuff at me. And you're saying I did a great job. And Jesus is just pumping his fist and saying, yes, you did it. Yeah, great job. You see, God's perspective on our lives can be so different than our perspective sometimes. And he says, just as you testified in Jerusalem, you're going to testify in Rome also. Oh, great. You know, you're going to want to kill me in Rome also. But you see, God is sending him on in this, his strength. Go in this, your strength. Jesus speaks a word. And you can come out like a roaring lion. He does this. He has this capability. You pick up the Word of God and let Him speak to you. And then all of a sudden, He speaks just a few words. Go, in this your strength. Or go, your son lives. I'm ready. I am ready. Go, I will be with you. Good job. You know, Jesus speaks a word through the Scriptures. And you can go, in this your strength. If you will learn as believers, to pick up the Word of God and allow it to minister to you, to speak into your life, you will be very different than the rest of the world. Very different. Learn how to say a prayer and take hold of that thing and believe it. To take hold of that. To capture that and believe it. This is so important to learn how to capture these words. Look in in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is the passage, is the chapter that talks about faith, that teaches us what faith is. Hebrews chapter 11. Let's read it, verse 6. The whole chapter is on faith, but Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Whoever comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. If you seek God, He will reward you. If you seek God, He will reward you. This is what the Scriptures say. And in fact, it says, without faith you can't please Him. Whoever comes to God must believe that He is. So in other words, you have to first believe in God. But secondly, you must believe that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. If you seek God, He will reward you. This is what I try to get through to my students. This is what I try to get through to my own children. If you serve God, He will reward you. It says in John chapter 12, he says, Whoever comes to me, Jesus said, shall follow me. Where I am, there shall my servant also be. And whoever serves me, the Father will honor him. If you serve Jesus, the Father will honor you. He will honor the work of your hands. 
He will be a blessing to you. If you serve God, He will honor you. Now, that does not negate the need to study, but He will make your mind clearer when you study. He will do that. I have seen this in my own life. I've seen this happen in my own life. I've had competition from people that were much better than I was. Much better. And I have seen what God has done with my life. If you serve God, He will honor you. You must believe that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. Lord, if I seek you, you will reward me. You must believe that. And the whole chapter is just talking about men of faith. So, uh, look in... uh, Look in chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. Look, each one of these guys, he's saying, even on their deathbed, They are blessing their children because they really believed that what would happen would be that God's blessing would extend from them to their children. They believed it. And that's exactly what happened. By faith, it says, Joseph made mention of the departure of Israel. This is 400 years later. 400 years they were were in Egypt. In fact, it depends on actually what portion of Scripture you read, whether it was 220 years or 400 years. But they were there for hundreds of years. And Joseph, it says, it says of Joseph that he made, he, he, that he gave orders concerning his bones. What were Joseph's orders concerning his bones? He says, don't bury my bones here in Egypt. He was embalmed by the Egyptian embalmers who knew very well how to embalm. And, and, and this is in fact why we have King Tut and all of these things, because of the, the Egyptian embalmers. Well anyway, and then... 400 years later, or hundreds of years later, they take his bones with them when they go back into the promised land. Remember, there was 40 years going, going through there, and they eventually buried Joseph's bones back in there. How could he say this? Because he really believed that God was going to bring them back. He made, gave orders concerning his bones. There is something that you and I have to capture Because we're living after this transition point where we have to take things by faith. We have to accept it by faith. Look, look for example, um, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for the reward. So you see that Moses could well have hidden the fact that he was a Jew. He could well have hidden and just said, you know, Pharaoh's daughter was saying, just say you're Pharaoh's daughter. But no, it says that he considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. He identified with the Jewish people. When we try to hide our identity as believers and not speak up about that, we lose out. It says Moses would not hide his identity as being a Jew. And it says that he considered the reproach of Christ, the reproach that he got for being a Jew, a Jew, it talks about as the reproach of Christ. He considered the reproach of Christ greater riches. That's the reproach of the Messiah, that the Messiah would come. Greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. 
when we bear the reproach of Christ, even if it costs us dearly personally, we're looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, and he endured as seeing him who is unseen. He could look up and see him who is unseen. He says, because of him, we're going. We are marching out. It says in verse 30, it just starts listing all these these people. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. Now Hebrews 11.32 What more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of, of Gideon, of Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Look at this list of what happens. By faith, we may think, I am too small for anything to be accomplished through me and my life. Not so. It is by your faith that you will decide whether your life, in your life, you will accomplish great things for God. It is your faith that will decide that. Will you take these truths and believe them? So he gives this list of people, and these people had problems. It wasn't that they were all pure. I mean, not at all. I mean, Gideon had great, great bouts of, of lack of faith. And then it says a Barak. I mean, Barak says, I don't know if you remember Barak. Barak says to Deborah, I'm not going to go into this battle unless you go with me. And she says, okay, I'll go with you, but then the glory is not going to be to you. It's going to be to a woman. And, uh, and, and so she went with him, but look, the New Testament mentions Barak, doesn't mention Deborah in this. <laughs> so, so Barak had some great doubts of Samson. I mean, Samson had some real woman problems. He really did. I mean, this guy, every time he saw a pretty woman, he was like, whoa. I mean, he was just drawn in that direction. And, and then, and then uh, of, of Jephthah. Jephthah was, uh, um, had, had real problems himself, too. And, and, then, and then David. David was, was the adulterer and the rapist. Samuel and the prophets. I mean, Samuel was pretty good. But, so it, it just lists these folks. And it goes through. So these people had weaknesses in their lives. Now look what it says. Who by faith they conquered kingdoms. They performed acts of righteousness. They obtained promises. Look at that. You will not obtain the promises of the word of God without faith. So if you just say, well, the promise is there, I'll just get it. Not so. You will obtain the promise by faith. By faith you will obtain the promise. So you know what you do? You say, Lord, raise my faith. Lord, as I meditate on these scriptures this day, raise my faith. You will obtain promises by faith. Lord, raise my faith so that I can obtain that promise. They obtained promises. They shut the mouths of lions. We saw that in, in, in the book of Daniel. They quenched the power of fire, again in the book of Daniel, with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. They escaped the edge of the sword. From weakness they were made strong. Do you know how you will go from being weak to being made strong? By faith. Father, you have promised good for me. As I read this word, encourage me. From weakness you will be made strong. This is the story of my life. People think that, you know, oh, you know, you're just so strong, you're just so good. No, I mean, I am a wimp. 
And I'm telling you that I come before the Word of God and He strengthens me. I get these fits of fear, just like everybody else, that overwhelmed. Like, there's just so much coming on me at once. It happens to me too. You know, I, I get these. And, and I will come before the Word of God and from weakness, He makes me strong. This is a living testimony. It is true. This is why the Scripture doesn't just talk about it. It documents it with the life of people. People whom you know. Because you can read about their lives. So it says, look at their lives. It underscores what I'm telling you. It is by faith you will get these. He says, you became mighty in war. In war they became mighty. So you don't become mighty just sitting around waiting for the battle. It's when the battle begins that then you become mighty. So if all you do is train. You know, for so many years, all the U.S. forces, all they did was train. But after they had to go into the Middle East and all these conflicts, I mean, these guys are just hardened. They are the best soldiers in the world now. Because for the last 12 years or something, they've been going at this thing. You became, you, they became mighty when they were put into, into the fight. Became mighty in war. So in other words, you can hear me talk about this all day. This is the classroom instruction. But it's not until you get into it that you really become mighty. And this is why we praise God for the things that hit us in life. Because it is in these instances that we become mighty. You become mighty in war. And you don't become mighty just naturally. You become mighty because of faith. You must pick this up because of faith. Go! Your son lives. You act upon that. Go in this your strength. You have testified of me in Jerusalem. Now you must go to Rome also. One word, one sentence, one passage, boom, can encourage your heart. And this is a secret. Because so few believers ever tap into it. So few Christians ever know what it is to pick up the Word of God and have the Word of God speak to their hearts and so encourage and empower them. But you can live this way if you make the choice. And it will come by faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your Word. Your Word which sustains me. Lord, I thank you. Abba, my Father, I thank you because a simple word, your Son lives, can provide strength to us. I thank you, Lord, that you call us to faith. Father, I pray for these young people here that they would take hold of you by faith. They would be able to receive from your word and receive encouragement and take hold of it by faith. For this word was given for them. Father, let them take hold of it by faith, I pray. By the power of God, by the mercies of God. Father, may they take hold of it by faith. Lord, I pray for their precious lives, that you would build them up strong, change their hearts to seek you, to seek you diligently, so that in this time, in this period in their lives, as they're in college, Father, that their hearts would be so ordered to following in you and in your ways that it would set a pattern for their lives. 
Father, the grace of God be poured out upon them. The grace of God. And I commit them to you and into your loving hands because I know, O Lord, that you remain faithful. In the name of Jesus. Amen.